Welcome to America's Top Rebbitsons. May this class be for Rafu Shalema for Yosef Ben Leia Rivka. I'm so excited to have on today's show Rebbitson Tova Chazanel. Rebbitson Tova is the Assistant Director at the Chabad of Monmouth County in New Jersey. She is instrumental in putting together the annual Chabad of Monmouth County Women's Day program that always features powerful keynote speakers such as Judge Ruhi Freyer, the first Hasidic Jewish woman to be elected as a civil court judge in New York State. I have been to Rebison Tova's programs and they are truly, truly inspirational. Thank you so much for being here. Please tell us more about yourself and what you do. So um, when I thought about how to describe myself, so I said, well, I'm a mother, I'm a wife, I'm a sister, I'm a daughter, thank God. Um, I'm a grandmother, uh, I'm a cleaning lady, I'm an Uber driver, I'm a psychologist, um, but I am a shlucha of the Rebbe, and the Rebbe sent me out to Manalapan 36 years ago, and uh, I think that really formed me and shaped me and gave me the, even the possibility to speak right now, because if you would have known me 37 years ago, I would not have been on this podcast. <laughs> um, so I would say I'm many things to many people. Um, I wear many hats, as I think most women do. And we play many roles. And honestly, some days I manage some better than others. Other days I try to be a little bit better, you know, at my roles. But eventually I think we all hope that we do the best we can do on every single given day. And um, if I could just share with you, I think that's such a loaded question for so many women. And we say we do so many things, but do we do anything a hundred percent, you know, yes. because we're constantly being pulled in so many different directions. And sometimes the person doing the most pulling is ourselves. Yes, for sure. And so many, many years ago, when I was a young girl, my father shared with me a story and it's a story that I live with on many, many occasions for many, many different reasons. But there was a great chassid. His name was Zusha of Anapoli. Reb Zusha of Anapoli. And he was once speaking to some younger Hasidim and they would say to him, Reb Zusha, Reb Zusha, like, don't, don't, of course, you know, now that I'm telling the story, I can't remember all the details, but like the bottom gist of the story was like, don't, don't you want to try, like, shouldn't we try to be more like Avram Avinu, like, you know, Abraham, shouldn't we try to be more like King David, shouldn't we try to be more like that? And Reb Zusha looked at them and he said to them, you know, God only created one Avram Avinu. Right. And God only created one David HaMelech. Mm -hmm. And God only created one Zusha. And if I try to be someone else, Who's going to be Zusha? Who's going to be Zusha? And the point was that we need to be the best Tova we can be. And our job is to do the best we can and to find the best version of yourself. And the best version of yourself today might not be the same version of yourself tomorrow. That's and that's point. okay. And that's okay. Just trust in yourself. Do the best you can. And no, listen. God, you gave me a lot of titles and I'm doing the best I can. And I think, and I'm, I'm only saying this and I can only say this because I'm coming to you with like life experience. Yes. 
feeling guilty that you don't finish a job only hinders you from finishing it tomorrow. Very true and very well said. Thank you. I so, totally agree. <laughs> that's who I am. Maybe also a little schizophrenic. <laughs> No, listen, you're doing so much for so many people and it's so amazing, which actually brings me to the next question I want to ask you. I mean, as I mentioned earlier, I have been to some of your wonderful Women's Day events and I love them. Really, honestly, I, I love them. And then I left each and every event truly filled with joy, inspiration and a smile on my face. And this led me to think about the concept of happiness and how we are all running around in the pursuit of happiness. We are doing everything. We are we are shopping, we are going to movies, we are going to concerts, we are going everywhere in the pursuit of happiness. And I feel like few of us really, really reach that deep level of happiness, that deep level of simcha. And I was wondering if you can please talk about to us about the Jewish view on happiness and what we can really do to achieve true lasting happiness in our lives. Okay, so I love the way you phrase that question because it touched on two main points that I really think can help with happiness. And again, I, I want you to understand that when I answer these questions, it's not because I'm a happy person all the time, because I'm not, you know, <laughs> I, work, I work on being happy. Um, it's because I think we've all run the gamut. I mean, there's been times in my life where I've been really sad, you know, and how, how do I find happiness in such sadness, you know? Mm -hmm. So first off, Running around to parties and concerts and shopping malls, they don't sell happiness there. They sell a good time. They sell a good time and nothing wrong with having a good time. But happiness is something is not something from the outside. Happiness, it comes from within. That's number one. And I have a sign in my house. And if you Carrie, come visit me if you're ever in the neighborhood. I have a lot of signs in my house. I think they're going to, like, they're my anchors. And one sign says, and I wrote it down because I'll never remember unless I read it off the sign. It says, happiness is something you decide ahead of time. And I think that's very important to know. First off, happiness comes from within. And second off, happiness is something you decide ahead of time. You know, there's a lot of things we can't change in life, but we can change our attitude. So external things that are happening to us are happening to us. And there's a reason and there's a purpose that these things are happening to us. How we handle them is really where the happiness comes in. And that's, that's really number one. Um, then you use the word simcha. Like how do we find true simcha? And that sort of got me thinking when you say simcha, there are two um, verses, maybe you could call them, that I grew up with. One of them, I love this. I used to sing it to my babies in their haitras all the time, which is, if do as Hashem b'simcha, serve Hashem with happiness, right? Yeah. That there should be like a little skip in your walk, you know, like everything. And I hate to say this, but, you know, I learned later that this is not the great best terminology, but I use it all the time. Fake it till you make it. Put a smile on your face. You'll start smiling and it'll change things. So like if the house is not exactly looking the way you want it to, and thank God, you know, I have 10 children, most of them grown and married now on their own, but the house doesn't always look like you want it to. But, and, and I've been there and I know what it means to be frustrated about that. And it's not worth it. It's not worth it. Simcha is is, is a place where you are healthy, where you are healthy. So to serve Hashem with Simcha, 
just enjoy it. You know, the Rebbe used to say, and, and, and it's so true, the Rebbe used to say that in the, in the 50s or in the 40s, when Jews were coming to America, they would say, it's schwer zu sein a Yid. It's hard to be a Jew. And they meant it with the most dedication. They were giving up their jobs because they wouldn't work on Shabbos. I mean, right. they, were, they were doing such, they were put in places that we cannot even imagine. So I'm not putting them down, but could you imagine wake, waking up every morning as a young child and hearing your parents say, it's schwer zu sein a Yid. It's hard to be a Jew. Well, what happened to most of the Jews whose parents were so dedicated in the 1940s and 50s? They said, like, I don't want a hard life. You know, so <laughs> the Rebbe said, don't say, Oi, say joy, you know, like say it's great. It's wonderful to be Jewish. And it's just like one word and one vowel, like J, sorry, one letter that changes Oi to joy, you know, like, right. that's it. That's all we have to do. The J for Jew is joy. That's it. You just have to, you just have to be happy. And um, the other thing is Simcha Paretzgeder, which means um, happiness breaks all boundaries. And it's so true. When you walk into a situation and you feel positive, you can accomplish almost anything. But when you feel the heaviness of the situation, it holds you down. So just having these two thoughts in your head, simcha paritzgeder, happiness will break all boundaries. If do us Hashem simcha, serve God with, with joy. These things already elicit that feeling from inside because that's the only way it's going to stay. You know, yes. I have lots of friends who, you know, when they're depressed, they call it um, something therapy um, when they go shopping. Retail, retail therapy. therapy. Yes. <laughs> and retail <laughs> therapy is great for about, what would you say, four or five hours? Like as long as you have to pop the next pill, like, you know, retail yes. therapy doesn't last Items, external things don't keep us happy. It's the internal feeling of joy that we can bring into ourselves. And just to round it up, I think the way that we really can maintain that level of joy, like all these little tools, you know, thinking simple parts, those are all tools. But what is the true joy is when a person has purpose. When a person wakes up in the morning and they feel that they have purpose in their life, they have joy and talk to anyone who God forbid is not joyful and they're not in a happy state. They usually are sitting and feeling very lonely and very sad and not um, like they're not giving anything. Right. And that, and that is really a person should have purpose in life. And what does it mean? You don't have to look for purpose. You don't have to go out and say, Oh my God, I need purpose in life. What am I going to, what am I going to, if you're born and you're breathing, you have purpose. That means God needs you on this world to make it keep going around on its axle. And it cannot do it without you right now. That's why you woke up this morning. So just waking up in the morning is purposeful. That's amazing. That's powerful. And you're right. You're right. God gave, God gave us another day. How do we know? Because we woke up in the morning and not, I mean, it's unfortunate, but not everybody does wake up in the morning. And mm -hmm. the fact that we're here, you're right. It does give us purpose. We have to go out. We have to be our best. We have to do our best. We have to be nice to others. We have to look for ways to do chesed. We have to look for ways to do good in the community. And I think it's amazing. And I also want to say something about the, the joy and the simcha that you were talking about before. I think it's amazing. I think those, you're right. Those are great tools, but also I want to say that it's, 
in using those tools, it's like anything, like a carpenter, like a plumber using their tools, it takes practice and it's not going to come overnight. And it's building and building and building until you really get that practice, until you really can like um, make it a habit, you know, until you can internalize. I'm proceeding with joy. I'm going to serve God with joy. I'm going to go out and I'm going to, I'm going to live my purpose. I'm going to do my best. And it's like, I don't want anybody to feel, I don't want anybody to listen to the podcast to feel, oh my gosh, you know, I can't do it or I didn't do it today. So forget it for tomorrow. No, it's, it takes practice. And it's like you building, you're building a muscle. It takes practice. And every day you build up a little bit, a little bit. hundred percent. And that's why I said to you, I bought that sign. Yeah. Happiness is something you decide ahead of time because the person who's saying this needs to stop in her kitchen once in a while and read the sign. You know, <laughs> we, we all need to, you know, flex that muscle. It's true. It's true. And some days are harder than others. Yeah. And some days Zusha's just, you know, yeah, doesn't feel like it's enough. So that's why we thank God every day that we have another day of non- another opportunity. Another opportunity. Exactly. And that's, that's key. Very key. Um, and I also want to bring up the concept of emuna and bitahon. Those are also very big factors in achieving happiness and also not only in achieving happiness, but in the way that we live our lives. Emuna and bitahon. Emuna is a state of understanding, a uh, faith that there is a creator, a belief that there is a creator, that there's a Hashem, that there's a God who created the world. And bitahon is a state of trust where, where we rely on Hashem, where we rely on God to watch over us and protect us and know that he's involved in every single little aspect of our lives. And I understand it's possible to have a Muna, but not Bitahon. And, but people with true Amuna and Bitahon are the happiest people that I have met. So I was wondering if maybe you can talk a little bit about what is Amuna, what is Bitahon and how they go together. Okay, so this is like really tough. <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> because, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> to me, Amuna and Bitahan is um, very, very intertwined. Yes. Um, it's it's like um, so Amuna to me, and again, Amuna, you know, this is the way I'm defining it, and there is definitely a difference. But the most simplistic way I can think that I can divine it is Amuna is the belief system that everything happens from Hashem. Yes. Everything happens from Hashem. Um, and knowing that if it's happening and if God is a good God, it has to be good. Right. Now, it doesn't always feel good. Exactly. <laughs> but it has to be good. And, and that's Amuna. Betachan is believing that we can succeed and Hashem will help us succeed in these challenges. Right. And I think this also, like you say, it is so intertwined with Simcha Yeah. because when a person has a certain mindset, knowing that God is on your team already encourages you with Simcha. Now, simcha is an emotion, mm-hmm. and you wouldn't know what simcha feels like if you never felt sadness. True. So, yes, it's important to always be happy, but there are things in life that happen that aren't always happy. For sure, definitely. So, I myself have had experiences that I feel we're not happy. And if I would have reacted happy, I think they would have put me in an asylum. I mean, I had a stillborn, you know, an overdue mm-hmm. baby who I met, you know, the doctor, 
whatever it is, the bottom line is I had to deliver a stillborn. Was I happy afterwards? I wasn't happy for months. I, yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, sometimes years. Sometimes I could tell you it's 20 some years later and I'm still not happy. But I think if I'd be happy, I'd be crazy. Right. Uh, I get that. So, so we have to know that it's okay to be sad sometimes. Yes. Okay. We're not all walking on the clouds. So what does it mean to be besimcha or what does it mean to have a muna when we're saying we trust Hashem and everything's for the good? Or what does it mean to have betachan and say, I'm going to overcome this challenge? Well, there you are. That's exactly it. There's a challenge. You're not happy when you're challenged. No. <laughs> right? Right. So we can be, have betachan and still be sad. We can have betachan and still feel challenged. The betachan is that Hashem is going to give me the strength to overcome this sadness, to overcome this challenge, to overcome this difficult moment in my time. And again, there's anchors. Um, my husband's cousin is Shalom Morelchai Rabashkin, who it's ironic, we just celebrated his four years of being um, taken out of what he would say a place called prison. Mm-hmm. He never said in all the eight years that he was in jail, he never said that he was in jail. He would always say they are holding me in a place they call prison. Now, it might sound like ridiculous, but he never allowed them to let him become an inmate mentality. That is so important. It's so key in his survival. It was key. A hundred percent. And his connection to Hashem. And if you want to talk about like Emuna and Betachan, I mean, this man is the, I mean, they wrote a song about it because here it is. We have someone who eight years in a, is in a dungeon. Like we just learning in this week's Torah, last week's Torah portion of, you know, two weeks ago, Yosef was in a pit, you know, in jail. And yet he, again, he didn't let them make him an inmate. He was a Jewish boy who was in a place called prison. And that has to be our situation as well, where, you know, we do have challenges and we do have hard things happening. And I'll go back to the example of of losing the, the baby. And, you know, knowing that I was going to now deliver a child that was not alive. And you could think I'm crazy, but during the whole labor, I kept saying, God, this is you and me. We can partner. Everybody could see your miracles. There's no heartbeat. Let's have a healthy baby. You know, I was having those conversations with God like any normal mother would. We can, you know, have a healthy baby now. And guess what? God said no. Yeah. God said no. And this was a very big process for me with Amuna and Betachan because um, I had found out my father was not well during this pregnancy. Um, I had then found out that I lost the baby and, um, when I, when I delivered the baby, I, I immediately remembered a story. Can I share the story with you? Please. Yes. So there's a story of a couple that comes to the Baal Shem Tov to ask them for a blessing for children. And he constantly denies them, constantly denies them. And just to make the story a little bit shorter, bottom line is after many years, he gives them a bracha and the child lives for like two or three years. And then the child passes away and they come to the 
Baal Shem Tov with, with tiredness, with complaints. Right. How could you give us such a bracha? You, you, and the Baal Shem Tov said, I knew, I knew this was destined for you to raise this child till this age. And I didn't, I didn't want to give you the bracha because I know the sadness. But sit down and let me tell you who this neshama is. And he goes on to tell them the story of a king who has an extremely bright child. And every teacher that the tutor that the king brings in, he surpasses him and surpasses him. And then he finally hears that in this village, there is a priest who is brilliant and he can teach him science and he can teach him all mathematics. And he summons this priest and he says to the priest, you must leave your parish and you will become my child's tutor. And the priest really doesn't want to do it. And finally, he says, you cannot say no to the king. And he says, fine, I will do it on one condition. I need two hours a day of solitude for me to serve our God. Okay. Nobody can bother him. The, the, the curtains come down, the door gets locked, and nobody can come in. And this is agreed upon. And for a few years, this or months, this priest is teaching the child and they're developing a wonderful relationship and the child is excelling, but the child's very bright and the child's not going to just say, hmm, what's he doing in there for two hours without me? So one day when he's supposed to leave the room, he goes behind the curtain and he doesn't leave the room. And what does he witness? He witnesses the priest taking off the cross, literally throwing it across the room, going into a drawer, taking out talisans fill in, and this priest is serving Hashem. The kid comes out of the curtain and says, what are you doing? What are you doing? <sighs> the priest is, is taken aback. He doesn't know what to do. And he realizes he has no choice. He has to tell the child, but he has to share him to secrecy. Tells the child, I'm really Jewish. And this is, this is true God. And this is true service. And I need you not to tell. And the child said, I won't tell on one condition. I've never seen you shine the way you're shining now. I want you to teach me what you're learning. And they start learning Torah together. Wow. And after a while, the child wants to like behave like a Jew. And the priest says, if you behave like a Jew, you and I will both be killed. What is wrong with you? We can't. And they come up with a plan and they tell the, the king that the prince has excelled even the priest at this time. And he must go to France to study Torah, to study to continue to study. And the king is so proud of his son. And the plan is that he'll go to France and he'll sort of get lost there. And he'll be able to serve Hashem as a Jew. He'll convert and be able to serve Hashem as a Jew. It's not like today where they'll find him, you know, track him down. Right. And this is the story. After many years, this converted young prince passes on and he comes to Shemayim. And the angels say, this this kid, this child deserves the highest level of Ganeiden. I mean, he gave up everything to be Jewish. And of course, we always have our prosecutors and the prosecutors say, but what about those first few years when he ate non-kosher and when he did all these things that were not appropriate for a Jewish boy? And so the court convenes and they decide that this neshama has to come down for another few years to rectify those years. And it came down to this couple and could you imagine that this couple had the schut, had the merit to raise this child to be able to go to the highest levels, even though they only had him for a few years? It's amazing. Now, when I told you the story about the couple coming in after two, three years, you didn't feel the way I'm telling you now. Either did they. They right. were angry. They were hurt. They were in pain. Yes. 
Now they're still in pain. They lost their loving child, but there's such a special connection that they were able to do this for their baby, right? For their son. So I had to get to a place in my life where I had to realize that I had to nourish this fetus for nine months, eating kosher food through me, listening to Jewish music through me, you know, hearing my brachas, hearing my prayers, you know, everything through me for this soul needed to be nourished for nine months. Did that make me less of a mother? No. no. Did it give me shorter time? Yes. If God would have asked me before, Tova, I've got a soul I need to bring down. Can you please take care of it for nine months? The answer probably would have been no. Okay. That's honest. I, <laughs> that's honest because I know the pain of loss. Yes. But God didn't ask me. So now when I think about this little baby that I held and cradled for, you know, a little while and then had to give him back, do I feel sadness? A hundred percent. Do I feel pride? in the fact that this neshama is somewhere really holy and happy? Yes. Do I feel pride that God chose me? Mixed, but yes. Wow. So when you talk about Imuna and Betachan and you talk about Simcha, I'm pretty happy that I was chosen to be able to bring this neshama down. Is it hard? Yes. Do I think I succeeded? Betachan? Yes. And one of the reasons I could tell you strongly is um, I've had miscarriages. So what do you do? You try again, and then you pray that you pass that date that you lost the last one, right? right? Well, try being pregnant after having a stillborn. That's overdue. Right. So for nine months, you're nuts. Right, because really you don't nuts. know. Yes, yes, you're right. <laughs> you're really nuts. And that's betachan. 100%. That's betachen. That's the best way I can explain betachen. Wow. No, it's so, it's so interesting because, and I love the story that you shared because it also helps to give perspective on your story. Like the story that you shared about the couple who came to the Baal Shem Tov for, for the Brachan, you know, and your story. A lot of times, you know, we don't always know why Hashem does something. And it's so comforting. Like if we could just get the script, like, can I just have the script? Can I just like read to the end? Oh, now I understand the beginning because I see how it's going to end. and I understand everything in between. But a lot of times we don't. And a lot of times we just feel that sadness because we have no clue what's happening. We have no clue why it's happening. Why us? A lot of people feel, why me? And it's, you know, it's a very powerfully sad feeling. Right. And that goes right back to the question you asked before. If you believe, if you, how do you really be happy? If you believe you have purpose. Yes. So even when sad things happen, yes. they're purposeful and we're part exactly. of that script. Yes. And I stopped saying the word after that. And after I lost my father, I stopped saying Bad, you know, there's a book, Why Do Bad Things Happen to Good People? Yes. There's no such thing as bad things. If you right. really have a Muna yes. and you really believe that everything is from Hashem, there are sad things that happen. They're not bad. And I think that helps too. That's an anchor. Just always remembering that it's not bad. It's just sad. And it's an emotion. And we're going to get through it. And there's purpose. And there's reason that I'm doing this. Right. Or I'm in this. Right. Exactly. I think somebody once said to me, you know, whatever, I was going through something that was very challenging. And they said, you know, don't ask why me ask what, what am I supposed to learn from the situation? Exactly. 
Yes. Not why, yeah, like, and if you're going to say, you know, why me, it's because like, what can I do in this situation? Right, exactly, exactly. To make it, to make it toward a purpose so that you're being productive instead of wallowing, you're being productive and moving forward. Yeah, yeah. And, and like you wanted to tell people before you have to use that muscle, you can wallow, you can wallow. But until it destroys you, you'll be very silly. So wallow for enough time to like give yourself a pat on the back and then get up and do what you're supposed to do. Right. Exactly. And move forward. Exactly. Right. That's right. hundred percent. Um, and going along this, this theme of, of happiness and, you know, bettering our, bettering our lives, uh, something else that can increase a person's happiness is their ability to successfully balance life, balancing. But as a woman, like you said in the beginning, there's so much to juggle, a husband, a kids, jobs, friends, extended family, just everything, I, I, taking care of a house, just, just, there's something always going on, always. And I feel like we do too much. And at the end of the day, we end up get, getting literally sick and tired from everything that we're doing. And I want to see if maybe you could talk to us about some ways that we can balance our lives. So at the end of the day or at the end of the week, we feel uplifted instead of depleted. <laughs> so again, I am going to tell you this as a um, very important point. The only reason I feel like I could speak about this is because life experience. Yes. My kids are the first on carpool line because they were always picked up the last. <laughs> so when they pick up their kids, so it's not that I had it all together. Um, I always felt like on the way to school, I could do one more thing. I could do one more thing, you know, yeah. be it for the mother, the daughter, the, the friends, the shlucha. I could fit one more thing in before I went to get my kids. And, and till today, I, I see the ramifications of that because I'm like, how could you get to carpool line so early? It's like, ma, you know? <laughs> so um, what I'm going to tell you is not because I have it together. It's just because I've experienced it now. And looking back, I think like a Monday night quarterback, you know, Monday yes whatever that's called. So I just want to say that I don't want anybody to think. And again, I think that goes back to the thing, like there's anybody who's telling you they have it all together, probably isn't doing much. So like, <laughs> so like, don't feel guilty. Oh my God, how does she do it all? She probably doesn't, you know, like, exactly. And so um, I think, first of all, we, we, we have to really go back to this concept of purpose. Yes. We have to know what our purpose is. And I, I, growing up, had a very hard time saying no, mm -hmm. because I wanted to be everything to everybody because I didn't know who I was. How interesting. You know? So once you have a little more confidence and you know what your job is, sometimes I'm not a big, I, I don't believe in like saying no, I don't. Um, but if it can't help your purpose and it's too much for you right now, don't feel guilty. Don't say no, like an obnoxious person, but like, maybe I can help you find someone else who can do that. Or, you know, a lot of times you have people who say no, because they like acting so humble. You know, if you have a trait and God gave you that trait, it's a gift. And it's sure. a gift that you were given to share. Yes. So again, like when I'm saying no, I'm also saying you have no right to say no sometimes. So like, you know, I'm just balancing that. Um, but I think that Hashem, like, gives us gifts. We wake up in the morning and we say Moda Ani and we say, thank you Hashem for giving me back my soul so that I have another day, that I have an opportunity to maybe cross off the things on the list that I wasn't able to do yesterday. 
And then at night, we're supposed to go to bed with Cheshvan HaNefesh. We're supposed to like really account the day and see what we accomplished and see where we're lacking. And I think if we do those things in a private mode, in a calm way, we can we can get through most of the things that we know that we really have to get through. And practically, I sit down every night before I go to bed. And I know this does not sound 2021, but I take a pen and paper <laughs> and I make a list. Yes. And I know that I'm not going to accomplish everything on my list. But by writing it down, I know that A, I'm going to be focused. B, I've already prioritized in my mind that, Tova, you're you have big goals there, but I'll be okay if I don't finish it. And I won't be okay if I don't finish the ones that I really was supposed to do. And sometimes I procrastinate and that's in my face showing me that tomorrow to be a big girl. I know you don't like to do that, but like be a big girl. And so I would say, if you want practicality, it's the list. If you want spirituality, it's trying hard to really be honest with yourself of what really helps you with your purpose. And those are the things like, you can't forget to pick up your kids. No, of course. You <laughs> know, um, you shouldn't forget to pick up the milk, but if they have to eat cereal dry, it's not the end of the world. Right. It's good you know? Yes. And just coming off of Hanukkah, I heard this from a Rav Biederman and I just loved it. And I think this entails our life. He said, look at a dreidel right? A dreidel has the words on it, a great miracle happened there. Unless, of course, you're in Israel, and then it says po, which means here. But it has those four letters on it. But what does a dreidel do all, all the time? It just spins. It spins and spins and spins and spins and spins. And you can't see the letters, right? Even right. if you try, oh, what's it going to fall on? What's it going to fall on? All the kids are and adults are looking and we can't see the letters. Why? Because it's spinning and spinning and spinning and spinning and spinning. When do we finally see the letters? When it falls. Right. When it stops. That's when you see that God created a miracle. And I think that as Jewish women, we are spinning and spinning and spinning and spinning and we don't stop. Yeah. And when we're spinning like that, we don't even see what we accomplish. When that, when we finally stop and we might be like, ah, dead exhausted open up your eyes and see the miracles see how much you really accomplished see how many touches you really gave that little kid who needed it or your husband or yourself just stop and see the miracles and i think all of us would have to be very honest with ourselves and say we didn't finish the list but we did real good yes that's amazing. That's an excellent point. We shouldn't be, uh, we shouldn't get down on ourselves for not finishing the whole list. We shouldn't feel defeated. We should feel really, really proud of our accomplishments and of what we did. Right. For sure. And you know, there's nothing wrong with putting what was on yesterday's list tomorrow. A hundred percent. I agree. There's always another day. God willing, he'll wake us up again in the morning and we'll have another opportunity. Right. And that goes right back to purpose. Exactly. I love it. I love it how you always bring it all back to purpose because it's true. It's true. Because we're here for a reason. That's why we, we have a purpose. Um, one last question before we end. I think, see, I enjoy hearing anecdotes because I learn a lot from them. I love anecdotes and I think my listeners do too. And I, one of my favorite types of anecdotes are Hashkaha Pratis stories. Hashkaha Pratis is the Hebrew term, term for divine providence. 
and Hashgaha practice stories are ones where you can almost see the hand of God guiding you. And I was wondering if maybe you could share one or two stories of Hashgaha practice, either from your life or from the lives of the people that you know, just, just something that we can get inspired by seeing divine providence and by seeing Hashem in our lives. So it's funny because <clears throat> years ago, someone told me I should write down all my stories because living in Manalapan as an observant Jew for 36 years, there's a lot of Hashkacha Pratcha stories. Um, and I never did. <laughs> oh, you should. <laughs> I know, I know. And as my memory is not as good as it used to be, <laughs> I, um, I don't remember a lot of stories, but I did speak to my sister yesterday and I do have an incredible story that I want to share. Awesome. And I think the fact that you touched on it about purpose and sometimes we wake up and we don't even know what our purpose is, right? Yeah. Hashem doesn't send a telegram saying, oh, today you're supposed to do A, B, and C. We just wake up and we do what we're supposed to do. And sometimes we go, oh my God, what a fulfilling day. And sometimes we go, what did I just do? And you had no idea what you just did. You could have done the <laughs> biggest thing, you know? And I think this story really enlightens us. So <clears throat> I'm going to uh, maybe change the, I'm not going to say any names, and I'm going to change the locations just in case Perfect. my friend ever does hear this <laughs> podcast. But um, so we have very, very dear friends that we know for about 35 years. Um, and we met them. They were a young couple. They were expecting their first child. And we've been friends with them ever since. <clears throat> and uh Many, many years ago, he came to my husband and he said to my husband, I've never shared something with you, but I need to, I need to tell you a story. And we were very nervous. We thought, oh my goodness, what's wrong? And he, he was going through something in his own life and he was going through photos and pictures of his past and something hit him in his head after seeing some of these pictures saying that he has to tell the rabbi a story. And this, this is how the story goes. He, he was dating a non-Jewish woman okay. before he met our friend. And he was very, very seriously involved with her. And she had called him up and she said to him, my father is getting remarried. And he wants me to come to this, to this country and I don't want to go alone. And since we're so close, I want, I want you to go. I want you to come with me. I need your support. And he was like, I want to stop everything I'm doing to go to this country with this. And he said, let me see. I have meetings, this and that. And he really didn't want to go. And then after a day or two, he said, I'm about to ask this girl to marry me, or maybe he had already asked her to marry him. If I don't go, like, what does it say about me? Right. So he decided that he was going to go with her to the wedding. He gets on the plane, and I don't remember if it's on the way to the wedding or on the way back from the wedding. And he's sitting next to this very pretty, I'm sure, I don't know, non-Jewish girl for a flight that's about six hours. And he's sitting with her. And all of a sudden, he notices a few seats ahead of him, 
is a rabbi with a very pretty Jewish girl. And for six hours, he is looking at this rabbi with this very pretty Jewish girl and his non-Jewish girlfriend sitting right next to him. And for six hours, he's thinking to himself, what am I doing? Why am I not going out and finding myself a very nice Jewish pretty girl? Right. Six hours later, they get off the plane. And as you know, he broke up with her and he married a wonderful Jewish girl. And they have a wonderful family here in our area. And my husband's like moved by this story. And my husband says, that's beautiful. Can I ask you, why did you decide to tell me the story now? He says, well, the story goes on. He says, years later, I came to your house for a Passover Seder. Okay. And the man and the woman that I saw on the plane were sitting at the table. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. He still didn't tell us the story for years later. And I said, he's still talking to my husband. I didn't know the story yet. Now, you have to understand, I have a sister who has a Chabad house in this other country. And she and her husband must have been traveling either there or back. That is the couple they saw. Now, the most crazy thing is that my sister and brother-in-law don't come to me for Pesach. There had to have been a very specific reason why they were at our Seder table, because they either would stay in their Chabad house or they would go to my parents. Okay. But they wouldn't, I mean, we weren't on the map. Like there was, Hashem wanted them at my Seder table that year. It was just, it just worked. Nothing just works. It was a plan. It was part of this major script. Now, let me tell you something. The story, the original story, happened years before my brother and sis, my brother-in-law and sister were at our seder table, and then there were years until he told us. My sister and my brother-in-law were just traveling. They had no idea, and they had no idea for years later that there is a Jewish family that has Jewish children that will marry Jewish children because all they did was sit on a plane to go where they had to go. Oh my God. That's powerful. <laughs> that if you cock that Hashkacha Pratis, divine providence, that's it. I mean, the fact that they were on the same planes, the fact that he went, the fact that they were on the same planes, the fact that he showed up at my Seder, you know, the fact that they shared with us, he could have gone to the grave, never sharing this story, never wanting us to know that he had, you know, been engaged to a non-Jewish girl. And we would never... We wouldn't be, but the, but the acts that had to be done were all done. And the purpose that my sister and brother-in-law had to serve would have been served without even them knowing. So I think it's such a powerful story of divine providence, but it's also a powerful story of Simcha. Just be happy because you just being, you're already accomplishing. You don't know what, but you're already accomplishing. It is so powerful. That's so well said because again, it brings everything back to purpose because their purpose was to be on the plane so that man could see them and eventually marry a Jewish woman and have a Jewish family. But they had no clue. I mean, Zero clue. Right. I mean, how many times we we could even be sitting in a grocery line or we could be 
you know, on a plane, on a train, even on a carpool line, somebody could see us. We don't, we could be looking at our phones. We could be reading something. We don't even know that the other person even exists, much less that they looked at us or that they saw us, but then they got something from us. And that something that they got from us changed their lives in some way. A hundred percent. And there's so many stories like this. You know, it's funny because I forgot about this story. I don't know how you could forget about it. And I was going to tell you a story that happened in California where a man was going to commit suicide and he took his daughter out. Do you know that story? No, tell me. It's Rabbi Brisky. Um, just came through to California and was looking to put up a public menorah. We're coming off of Hanukkah, was looking to put up a public menorah. Got a lot of no's. <clears throat> no, no, no. You know, we're going back 30 some years ago. Not everybody wanted our menorahs up. And then finally they called one uh, mall and they said, are you sure you want to do it here? And they're like, yes, we hear you're a very big mall. Da, 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 da. Are you sure? Yes. And they put up and they go to put up their men- public menorah lighting and they bring donuts and everything. And now they understand why they keep saying, are you sure? because they're closing the mall. So oh. there's no stores in the mall. The only thing there is at the mall is the movie theater. So okay. they schlep their menorah to the movie theater and they say they're at least gonna try, you know? Right. And um, they start dancing and singing and moving and going and this and that. And they got the people going into the movie, out of the movie, it wasn't what they expected. It really wasn't what they expected. And um, years later, a man moves next door to Rabbi Brisky. And Rabbi Brisky invites him over and they become friends. And he goes to, starts going to JLI classes, which is the Jewish Learning Institute classes run by Chabad houses. And somehow they get speaking and the man says to Rabbi Brisky, I have to tell you a story. I have to tell you a story. Says, the fact that I live next door to you is a miracle. I mean, you've blown life into my life. But our relationship started quite a few years ago. I didn't know it was you. He says, I had gotten divorced. I was not doing well financially, emotionally. My wife was moving on and I just, I was not a happy person. And I decided I was going to take my life. And before I did that, I was going to spend one last day with my daughter. And we had a plan. Of course, she did not know that it would be the last time she'd spend time with her father And she wanted to see a certain movie. So I took her to the movie theater. And when we walked out, there are a bunch of crazy men dancing around on Manila. (laughs) And this is the idea of Simcha. And out of nowhere, they grabbed my hand and made me dizzy. And we were going around and around and around. And when I finished dancing with them, my daughter said, Daddy, this was the best day. This was the best thing. And can we go home to your apartment? And can we light menorah? And they gave me a menorah. And they gave my daughter donuts. And I went home and I lit the menorah. And it changed my plans. And I decided not to take my life and to pull myself together. And I did. And it took me a few years. And I finally was able to buy a small house. And God placed me next door to you. And he said, tells the story to Rabbi Brisky in his office and Rabbi Brisky says to him, we're at that It was because of you that I had to be at a mall that had no stores. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he pulls out the photo album and literally it's a few rabbis and like this man and maybe two others, you know, that walked out of this deserted movie theater mall and he's in the pictures. And like, sometimes I promise you as a Chabad Shlucha, 
you kick yourself and you say, I cannot believe that I made an appointment or made a deal with a mall that's closing. Like how dumb could I be? (laughs) Guess what? You don't run the show, right? You think you run the show, but he was supposed to be at that mall. There's no question. And he was supposed to be there for that little girl and her father. Yes. And that's Hashgacha Pratis. And that's when we have to say, I have Amuna and Betachan. I have belief that God is running the show. And I have Betachan that as hard as it feels and as, as, as painful as I feel right now, Hashem will give me what I need to succeed and do it right. That's amazing. It's, oh my gosh. I'm just taking that one in because, you know, I, I feel like we always feel like, oh, we have to do in numbers. The bigger, the better, the more, the merrier, like everything like that. And here he was with his menorah. And I'm sure that he was disappointed. He wanted that big mall with thousands of shoppers, people coming in, you know, lining about. And here he was in a mall that's closing, a handful of people. But you know what? He pulled it together. He, the rabbi wasn't sitting there crying. He was dancing with his with his uh, um, Hasidim and he was really bringing in Hanukkah. And here's this man who was, that's it. He was going to end his life. And it was because of him, like really, really, really because of him and his daughter that this rabbi had to be there, but he had no clue at the time. How was he, right? How was he supposed to know? I'm here. Oh my God, I'm a failure. I can't believe it. I couldn't be in a bigger mall with more people. But, he, but here he was truly, truly accomplishing his purpose, although it didn't look like he was doing anything, although it didn't seem to him like he was doing it, but he was doing it because a lot of times our purpose is veiled and it's not always obvious to us. It's not always obvious what we have to do, where we have to go, but Hashem knows. We don't always know Hashem knows. So that's, that's it. It's just, sometimes we don't even know what we're supposed to be fulfilling. Right. And that's why just wherever you are, Simcha, and just a, a small, you know, muscle practice is like, I know for me, when there's traffic, the old me would be freaking out. Like mm-hmm. I need to be somewhere. I need to get something. I don't understand. My kids are waiting in the carpool line, you know, <laughs> whatever it is. If I left on time, this is not an excuse to leap late, but if I left on time and I'm in traffic, put on the music, say, thank you, Hashem for the relaxation or whatever it is, just be, you know, the other day I was driving and this older couple was driving next to me and I had this big Hanukkah on top of my car yes. and I was not where I was supposed to be, or at least where I thought I was supposed to be. And they both rolled down their windows and gave me a thumbs up and said, we forgot it was Hanukkah. Oh I'm my like, gosh. Okay. We're on like the fourth day. but <laughs> She's like, I'm going to pull out my menorah. And I'm like, wonderful screaming, you know, through the cars. And I'm thinking to myself, Thank you, Hashem, for making traffic. There's, there's another Hashkaha practice story. You were so oh, that's true. To I didn't them. even say yeah. Exactly. Right. So, like, as young mothers running around, leave when you're supposed to leave. But if things don't work out, there's a reason. You might see it, you might not, but just don't be frustrated. That energy doesn't get you anywhere. For sure. For sure. Wow. Wow. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Rebbe Tintova, for taking the time to join us in America's Top Rebbe's. We really appreciate it, you having having you here. And I mean, I'm just. I'm in awe. I've just learned so much today. It's like, I really, really, truly appreciate you being here and sharing all that you have ch- shared. And we hope that today's learning will be for Rafua Shalema, for Yosef Ben Leah Rivka. If, and if anyone in the audience has any questions or comments about the podcast, or if anyone would like to sponsor a future podcast, please email us at atrebitsons at gmail.com. That's A-T-R-E-B-B-E-T-Z-I-N-S at gmail.com. Thank you so much. Pleasure. Be well. Thank you.